Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. This month, we are going through the entire book of James. It's a five-chapter book in our New Testament. Last week, we started with chapter one, and Pastor Jim, our lead pastor, he brought that message about how to deal with trials. There's some amazing things. You know, James, this book of James that we have in the New Testament is one of my favorites because it's very challenging. It's a very challenging book. Who is James? James, most scholars agree that James that wrote this book was the brother of Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was one of the apostles. And ultimately, he was a man and he was a leader that was killed because he believed the gospel. He was martyred because of his belief in Jesus Christ. And he says some amazing things. He gives us some some challenging words in scripture. And last week, as pastor went through how to deal with trials using the wisdom that James gave us, we see something amazing that, that James says. He says, when you face trials of any kind, count it as joy. That just seems so bizarre. To, to count it as joy when you face some kind of battle, when you face some kind of trial, when things don't go your way. James says, hey, be happy about it. Why? Because it's an opportunity for spiritual growth. And we have a value here for our life family, the people that serve with us in ministry every Sunday. By the way, shout out to all of our life family team that, that comes early on Sundays at Houston League City Friendswood, helps set up and get ready. It's our worship team, it's our life kids team, it's the ushers, it's the people running sound and audio and all of that, all of that stuff. They set up the baptistry yesterday, so thank you, life family team. One of the values we have in our life family team is that we choose joy, no matter the situation, and it comes from even the writings of James where he says, if you're facing any kind of trial, count it all joy. So today I'm jumping into chapter 2, James chapter 2. What is James' focus here in chapter 2? Well, first we need to understand that the people James was writing to, the reason he is issuing such a challenging letter to believers, he's writing to a church and he's challenging them, it's because his audience was a group of people that started believing, they started having this idea about God that since they were saved by God's grace, that meant they could live however they wanted. That God's grace was sufficient enough to save them even if they never followed and obeyed him. As long as they professed and said they had faith that they could go on living how they wanted and God's grace was going to cover it. That's why James writes the way he writes. And that's why James says the things he says because he's addressing that mindset. Now, maybe some of you who have grown up in church and you, you are familiar with the church world, maybe some of you have heard of this term legalism. Legalism is the idea, the spiritual idea, the religious idea that your own religious work can make you right with God. That your standing with God and the way that he views you and, and how much he loves you is based on how hard you work or how good you follow the rules. It's the idea that you can earn your salvation by how good you are. That's legalism. That's a lot of who Paul was writing to. The apostle Paul, who wrote so many letters in the New Testament, 
he was writing to people that had that legalistic mentality. James, on the other hand, is writing to a group of people that were the complete opposite. They weren't legalistic. They were lawless. They were abusing the grace that that had been afforded to them by Jesus Christ. And they were saying, thanks, God, for your forgiveness and mercy. I'm just going to continue living how I want, though. I will take the get out of hell free card, but I'm just going to keep living how I want. That's who James is writing to. The book of James says that God cares about our lifestyle. James is telling us that God cares how we walk out our faith. Not just that we profess faith, but that God actually cares about how we live that faith out. And James, he says some hard things. Why? He says them out of love to help bring people to spiritual maturity. That's that's why he's writing. You know, as a father, I have three children. It's my job to lead my children and challenge them and correct them and help them grow so that they can come to a place of maturity so that they can be the people that they are meant to be. That's my job. And that's, that's the role that James is playing here is he's trying to bring this group of believers into spiritual maturity. You see, spiritual immaturity, spiritual immaturity will confess one thing but then live another. And our faith and salvation, it's not just about what we say, but it's about what we walk out. It's about what we live out. James says in the book that he wrote, he said that pure and undefiled religion takes care of widows and orphans. He's making it very practical. He's saying, okay, you say you have faith. You say you're a follower of Christ. Well, this is what it looks like. It looks like you take action. It looks like you live out the things that you say you believe. It's practical and it involves living these things out. So I want to start reading today in the book of James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. I'm going to read verse 14 through 26. I'm reading from the NLT today. James says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. I'm going to say that part again. James says, unless your faith produces good deeds, unless your faith is leading you to action, unless your faith is leading to life transformation, unless your faith is leading you to action, it's dead. In other words, it's not real faith. It's not genuine faith. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith. Others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is only one God. You believe in the God of the Bible. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. They tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? 
You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also is faith is dead without good works. Now I'm going to unpack this this portion of scripture that I just read to you this morning. I'm going to talk a little bit about the story of Abraham. I'm going to talk a little bit about the story of Rahab. But before we jump into those stories, I want to talk about how James really gets straight to the point with this. Wouldn't you agree? He, he doesn't really mince his words, right? He, he doesn't pull any punches, does he? He just calls it like it is. And what I see in this passage is that James is really talking about two kinds of faith. James is talking about two kinds of faith. I'm, I'm going to talk about those. The first faith that James is talking about is the faith that doesn't work. The faith that doesn't work. And it's in air quotes for a reason. Because I've, what I see here and what I believe is that James is calling some people out. I think that James, no doubt, as he, as he was writing this letter, he's probably thinking of some people that he knows were saying they believed in Jesus, but they weren't living like they believed in Jesus. And keep in mind, he's writing to believers. He's not writing to people that are outside of the church. He's, he's writing to people who have confessed faith that are part of the church. And so he's, he's writing to these people that he knows maybe are living a little hypocritical. Really, he's addressing the phonies out there. He's calling out the fake faith among believers. So I want to unpack this faith that doesn't work. James breaks down the faith that doesn't work by characterizing it this way. The first is that the faith that doesn't work has an empty confession. An empty confession. Verse 14, it says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? You say one thing, but you're not showing it. And look what he says at the end of verse 14. He says, can that kind of faith save it? He's not even associating it with genuine faith. He calls it something different. He says, can that kind of faith save anyone? He says, if you're confessing you have faith, but you're not living it out, then your confession is empty. Your life does not reflect that confession. And, and pointing out that it's another kind of faith. That it's not a genuine faith. He asks, can that kind of faith save anyone? The implication is no. He goes on and says, if that's the kind of faith that you practice, is that, if that's the kind of faith that you have, it's dead, is what James says. And I, I, this is a good time to just stop right here. Because nobody is perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nobody can get it right all the time. There's not one Christ follower that can get it right all the time. I mess up daily. I make mistakes all the time. Nobody is perfect. But James is not asking us to be perfect. James is not trying to teach us to be perfect. What he's saying is, 
that there should be some evidence in your life of your faith. That if you are a believer and a follower of Christ, that you should be able point, you should be able to point to certain areas and certain things in your life that are the evidence of your faith in action. Genuine faith doesn't draw boundaries with God. Real faith doesn't draw boundaries for God. Genuine faith doesn't say, I have faith in Jesus. I believe that he is my Lord and Savior. I'm going to continue to make my own decisions when it comes to my sexual activity. I'm still going to make God, you know what? I, I believe in you but I really enjoy what I do on Friday nights and I have these certain things in my life that I listen to and that I watch and that I get involved with and I know that this book, I mean, it's kind of outdated, right? Surely some of these things are a little outdated. They don't really apply to us anymore. So I believe in you, God, but I'm just gonna continue to make my own decisions in this area. James would say, your faith is dead because wherever you are setting boundaries, You with me, Friendswood? You with me, Houston? You with me, League City? Because as soon as you start setting boundaries for God, you're killing your faith. You're saying, this is where my faith can die, right here. This part of my life is off limits to you, God. Ooh, it's quiet. It's quiet in here. I just want to say, like James, I preach this message out of love. I preach this message because I love all of you very much. Houston, League City, Friendswood, I love you guys. I think about you all the time. What I want for you is the same thing I want for my wife and children and for myself is just to know God better. And to live a life that truly honors him. And how beautiful would it be as a body of believers if that was our attitude of, I want to honor God with my life. You know what God could do through us? You know what we would start experiencing as God would work through us if that was our heart, every single one of us? Of God, I'm just, I'm open to you. There's no more boundaries, Lord. I'm getting rid of these things. I know I've held on to this. Held on to this thing, this activity. I've held on to this secret, this thing that I do that nobody else knows about. I've been holding on to it, but there's no more boundaries. God, I'm releasing it to you. All right, let me get back to my notes. I love you guys. Second thing that James says about this faith that doesn't work, the first is that it's an empty confession. The second is that it has false compassion. It talks the talk, it doesn't walk the walk. Texas, you say, it's all hat, no cattle, right? Yeah, rodeo season comes around, I'll put on my boots. got some Lucchese boots, they look good. They hurt my feet though, but I wear them anyway. And I'll wear a hat. I'm a little scared of horses though, to be honest with you. I'm not that kind of Texan, okay? All right. False compassion. Let's look at what he says in verse 15. He says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say to them, goodbye. Man, that really stinks you're in that situation. Hope it gets better. See you later. Stay warm. Eat well. 
False compassion. What good does that do, James says? You see a brother or sister in need, and you don't do anything to meet that need, but you give them some well wishes. Be thinking about you. Hope it gets better for you. False compassion. False compassion is that when we say, yeah, the hungry, we should feed the hungry. And people that are in need, we should meet those needs and give them their daily essentials and clothe them. And and we should be involved with people that that might be lonely. And we need to help those that are helpless. Somebody should do that. And then we never get involved personally. That is false compassion. If you are showing compassion with nothing but your lips, guess what that's called? Lip service. It's empty. It's a false compassion. If you have good intentions to start serving people one day, and you have good, in, I, you know what? I meant to go sign up for that serve day, and I meant to do this, and I meant to help this family in need down the street, and I know my coworker's going through a hard time, and I meant to go buy a, some groceries for that single mom, and I meant to do these things. Guess what? Your good intentions mean nothing if your actions don't back it up. That's what James is saying. That's what he's saying. He's telling this group of Christians, he's saying, you, you say you have faith, and yet you're not doing anything that proves you have that faith. There's nothing in your life that is evidence of that faith. The other thing that he says about the faith that does not work is that it has shallow conviction. It has an empty confession. It has false compassion. And I do know my notes, y'all. And it has shallow conviction. This is what James says. Some may argue that some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? He says, I'll show you my faith because of my good deeds. I'll show you my faith because I can look back in my life and I can tell you the day I got baptized. And I can tell you the things that I have repented from. And I can tell you the times where I have served people in need. Not to brag. It's not something that we collect for self-righteousness, that we have a resume of, look how Christian I am. I've been involved in 53 missions trips. And I have fed a 100 Hungry families, look how Christian I am. That's not what it's for. It's not something to walk around in self-righteousness with. But it is something where you can look back and say, hey, it's true what God is doing in my life. Because I used to be that person, and look where God has brought me. Man, when I think about the person I used to be, when I think about where I used to be, and who I used to be, and what God has done in my life, I'm so thankful I can look back at the evidence The evidence of God working in my life. The evidence of me trusting him. There's evidence of me making hard decisions and setting aside my preferences and setting aside what I want, setting aside my desires and saying, you know what? I really want to do these things. I I really am tempted to do these things. I would prefer to do these things, God. I would prefer to talk this way and act this way and think this way and do these things. But because I am submitting to you and because I have faith in you, I'm going to believe that you know what is best. 
And I don't get it right all the time, but I can look back and say the times where I did get it right and I did make the right decision, God helped me and blessed me and grew me and changed me. James says that the faith that doesn't work has shallow conviction. He says, some may argue people have faith, others have good deeds. So they're like, there's this dichotomy, right? And I see it today with Christians today. There are some Christians who are content with hunkering down and isolating themselves from the world and having really fun, great church for them on Sundays and then just looking ahead to the next Sunday. Can't wait till next Sunday. Can't wait till next service. Can't wait till we have that song again. Can't wait till we have that preacher again. Man, we're having some good church. We're having some good church. Then there are people who say, oh, church is useless. I don't need to be a part of church. You know what? I'm just going to go out. I'm a good person. I'm going to meet people's needs. I'm going to serve people. James is saying now, it's actually both together. I have in my life known people and at times have fallen into this kind of thinking myself that the more that I know, the better that I am. As long as I know what the Bible says, as long as I can tell somebody else what the Bible says, I'm good. People think that strong faith means biblical literacy. That you have stronger faith because you can quote more Scripture than anybody else. Guess who else was quoting Scripture? Satan. When Satan tempted Christ in the wilderness, Satan was quoting Scripture. Satan was tempting Jesus. This is what I have also experienced. There are some people, just like these devils that have, they know, they they believe in one God. There are some people who know a lot of Scripture, but they seem more like a devil than Jesus, right? James says about these devils, just because they have the right doctrine, doctrine doesn't mean that they are following God. Doesn't mean that they worship God. Doesn't mean that they obey God. Shallow conviction means that you are indifferent to what this Bible says. Shallow conviction means that you are indifferent of what God's Word teaches. Shallow conviction is when you can read Scripture and that you can be taught Holy Scripture, but then you refuse to align your life with what Scripture teaches. Shallow conviction is knowing what it says, but not living what it says. The faith that doesn't work. Empty confession, false compassion, shallow conviction. James sets us straight, though, because then he tells us about another kind of faith. A genuine, saving faith. A faith that works. James unpacks what genuine faith, look, what genuine faith looks like in verses 21 through 26. He gives us two examples, Abraham and Rahab. Now, the first thing that James shows us about the faith that works is this. Faith is active alongside works. James says that your faith, genuine faith, well, that faith is active while you're living it out, while you are working, while your life reflects it. Verse 21, don't you remember our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? I'm going to stop right here. 
This is one of those parts of Scripture, one of those stories in the Bible where you just scratch your head, and a lot of people will use this point to kind of criticize God and criticize Christianity. Well, how can a loving God command Abraham to sacrifice his son? That is evil, terrible. Nobody would dispute that. Let me give you context about what is happening in Abraham's world and the other people and the other regions and the other countries, the other nations, the other cultures. You know what was happening? Child sacrifice, human sacrifice. All around Abraham, there were people who were sacrificing their children, sacrificing babies, sacrificing their slaves, sacrificing each other to their God. And so God is testing Abraham's faith. He wants to see if Abraham's faith is even as strong as some of these other people worshiping false gods. He says, Abraham, the son, Isaac, that I've promised to you, would you sacrifice him to me? And you know what Abraham does? He goes through everything. He, he is fully set on sacrificing Isaac. But our God is not like these demonic forces. Our God is not like these false gods. So he tests Abraham and gets him to that point. And God steps in and provides a sacrifice in place of Abraham's son. Amen. Don't, don't get it twisted. God, 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 would, God was never going to allow Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. It was a test for his faith. And ultimately it was to show, hey, this sacrifice, you can't make it. I'm going to make it. So I'm going to provide for you. It was foreshadowing Jesus Christ for you and I. There's nothing that you and I could ever do. There's no sacrifice you and I could ever make. It's only because of Jesus Christ stepping into our place that we can be right with God. Verse 22, he says, you see, his faith and actions work together. His actions made his faith complete. In other words, his faith was complete because of his obedience. Because he obeyed God. His faith was genuine because he obeyed God. His faith was genuine because he started living out what God had commanded him to do. His faith was genuine because he started living the way God asked him to live. The faith that works is obedient faith. And God asked Abraham to do something that was extremely hard, extremely difficult. It challenged every ounce of faith that Abraham had. It was his son. The son that was promised to him by God. And now God was asking him to sacrifice Isaac. It was a difficult decision. But he lived out his faith. And he was shown to be right, is what James said. He was shown to be right because of his obedience. His faith was shown to be right because of his obedience. His actions showed his faith was genuine. And we all face challenges, we all face struggles, we all face temptations. Every single one of us, we have our own battles that we face. Mine look different than yours. We may have some things in common. There may be some things that you and I have similarities with in our story and things that we, we deal with, but all of us have our own battles that we fight. All of us have different areas where our faith is being challenged. The faith that works is the faith that obeys, even in the midst of difficult situations. 
You know, I'm starting to get a better appreciation for James chapter one when he says, count it all joy when you face trials of every kind because these people that James is writing to had such fickle faith that he probably started to see so many people falling to the wayside and giving up on God when things got difficult and wondering why they haven't been delivered from this or that or why they haven't been healed. God must not be real. He must not care and falling away. That's why he said, count it joy when you face trials. Because it's an opportunity for growth. It's the same here. We all have uh, challenges. We all have battles that we fight. And faith obeys God even in the middle of those battles. Faith obeys God even in the middle of those challenges. Faith that works brings body, mind, and emotions into submission to God. Faith that works brings yourself into submission to the king. Abraham acted upon his belief. That is faith. Here's the second thing James says about the faith that works. Faith is vindicated by works. So I'm going to read verses 21 through 25. He says, don't you remember Abraham, our ancestor, was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Because Abraham did what he believed. He was even called the friend of God. Verse 24, so you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. Now let me tell you about Rahab. I'll tell you about her in a moment. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. You see, James is is saying something here about our, our, our faith is vindicated by works. He's saying something that really would make the most sense to you and I in a legal sense, like in a courtroom. He's saying that Abraham and Rahab's actions vindicated them. Like it was enough evidence to say, yes, their faith is genuine. James has already made it clear in this chapter that it's not their actions that make them right with God. It's their actions that prove their faith is genuine. Paul and Jesus even said the same thing. Now, a lot of times this book, James, there's a lot of contention around it. Because a lot of people say, well, James teaches something different than Paul. Paul wrote so eloquently that we're saved by grace through faith, that it's not our our works that save us. James and Paul are not saying different things. Remember, James and Paul are writing to two different groups of people. Paul is writing to people who are legalistic, who think that because of their good works, the religious things they do, that their religiosity makes them right before God. And Paul's saying, no, it's nothing you could ever do. It's only because of the grace of God and you putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And then James is writing to people who say, I'm thankful for the grace of God. I'm going to live however you want. He's saying, no, that's not actually what faith is. Faith is this. It produces works. They're in agreement. Paul and James are in agreement, and Paul, Jesus, and James all taught the same thing. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 through 37, Jesus said, I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Faith vindicates, works vindicate vindicate your faith. Jesus is saying, 
If you stand before me one day and we look at your life and it does not reflect your faith, if the words you were speaking did not reflect the faith you had in me, your words will either acquit you or condemn you. Those are works. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, he says, For we must all stand before Christ and be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Paul, James, Jesus, all three that we just saw are saying the same things. Your actions matter. Your words matter. The things you do and say and think matter because they will be evidence of whether or not your faith is genuine. And it's extremely important for us as believers. If we say we believe in Jesus Christ, if we say we are followers of Christ, it's extremely important for us to understand this. Houston, League City, when the Bible talks about our faith, it's not talking merely about belief. It's not asking you to believe in Jesus. It's asking for you to have faith and faithfulness. If you look in the original language, this word that we have translated to English for faith is the same word that's translated to mean faithfulness. It means you believe, therefore you do. Faith means I believe in Christ, therefore I will follow him. I believe in Christ, therefore I will live the way he wants me to live. I believe in the God of the Bible, therefore I will live according to his word. That is true faith. It's not the intellectual belief. Many people think, if I have an intellectual belief of Jesus, and if I say a prayer where I confess that he's the son of God, that he died for my sins, that he was killed on the cross, and that he was buried in the grave and rose on the third day, if I say those things, then I have this intellectual understanding, I'm saved, I'm good. It's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus said, pick up your cross, follow me. Everywhere Jesus went, you know what he was preaching? Repent. Leave your lifestyle. Leave those things. Leave that, that thinking. Leave those habits. Live, leave who you are, follow me. That was what Jesus was doing. Faith and faithfulness. You can't have one or the other. It's both together. And that's what James is teaching, that faith is incomplete or belief is incomplete. It's dead. It's what James says. If your life does not manifest the works of your faith. So if you want to know, people ask all the time, but what do I have to do to be saved? What, do I have to be baptized to be saved, pastor? I mean, look. If you're already approaching Jesus with a bare minimum attitude, you've missed it. If you're already approaching the king of the world, asking, what's the bare minimum I can do for you, king, to get in your kingdom and reap all the benefits? What's the bare minimum? Do I have to do this to be saved? Do I have to do that to be saved? If that is your thinking, you've, you've missed it already. That, you have to unwork that thinking. Because when you approach the king and when you repent and follow Jesus, the attitude is, what else do I need to leave behind? What else can I leave behind, Jesus, to keep following after you? Where you're going, I want to go, so what do I need to leave behind? That's the attitude. People want to know, what do I have to do to be saved? Well, just ask yourself, does your life look like 
you have faith in Jesus. You're wondering about baptism. Do I have to be baptized? Do you know that Jesus commanded us to be baptized? Jesus commanded you to be baptized as a believer. The apostles all through the Bible and the New Testament and their writing commanded for believers to be baptized. So it's not something we should look to mark off a box and say, okay, I've done this, I did this, I'm saved, I'm good, I can take it easy now. Are you living the way that God wants you? Or are you living without any regard for God's commands? Are you living a life of repentance and surrender to Christ? Or are you living a life like the people James was writing to? Who said, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'm so glad that he died on the cross so that I can be forgiven. So that I can just keep living the way that I want to live. James says, your faith is dead. See, I've met and know a lot of people, and in my life I have been this person who is really happy to talk about God's grace, is really happy to say, I'm so glad that God loves us and will forgive us because I know that every time that I go out and keep doing what I want to do, I'm going to ask for forgiveness. They like that idea. I've liked that. I've I've liked the grace of God. You know what I didn't like was really making Jesus my Lord. That's the part that's difficult, is making him your Lord, making him your king. The third thing I want to talk about that James shows us, and this is beautiful, about genuine faith, it's for the greatest and it's for the least. It's for the greatest and the least. You look at the two examples that James gave us. The first is Abraham. The father of the faith. Abraham, this this man who was the father of a nation. Father of Israel. He was wealthy. He was successful. He was the ultimate patriarch of God's people. A successful businessman. That's one example James gives us. And then Rahab. The prostitute. Not only was she a prostitute, but she was a Canaanite. Meaning she wasn't part of God's people. She was an enemy of God, actually. She lived in the city Jericho when Israel was taking the promised land. She was part of the enemy. And her status, she's somebody that seemed like no importance, no value. She was on the bottom of society's structure. And James uses these two very different people to show what genuine faith is. The highly respected Abraham and the lowly Rahab. You might think these people have nothing in common except they both believed in God. Rahab, when she saw the army of Israel marching upon her city, marching around her city, when spies came into her city, you know what she said? She told them, I know that you serve the one true God, so I'm going to help you. I'm going to to let you hide here. I'm going to help you. Just remember me and my family when you come. And she went on to be an ancestor of Jesus Christ. When you look at the lineage of Jesus, Rahab was one of his great-great-grandmothers. Abraham became the father of the nation. What James is saying is, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you have or what you don't have. It doesn't matter what your advantages are or what your disadvantages are. Whether you have plenty or little, whether you have influence or not, 
This is what genuine faith looks like, is faith with action. There's no differentiation when it comes to the kingdom of God. Because of Abraham's status, he didn't get to bypass certain things. He was on even playing ground with Rahab. It's for the greatest and it's for the least. This kind of genuine faith that we can place in Jesus Christ, it's for everyone. And that's the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is full of all kinds of people. This church even is full of all kinds of people with different backgrounds, different stories, different mistakes, different pedigree, different resume, different income, different background culturally, socially, different language backgrounds. You know what the kingdom of heaven is? The kingdom of heaven is a place where room is made for everyone to bow before the king. We might come in with our own stories and our own accolades. Guess what the kingdom of heaven is? The kingdom of heaven is a place where you take off all of that stuff, good and bad. Take your ego, leave it at the door. Your mistakes and problems, guess what? This is where you can release that burden. And instead, it's a place where everyone has common ground, where we can kneel before the king, where we can set aside all those things and say, okay, I'm submitting my life to you. Why is this possible? Grace makes faith possible. This is the last point that I want to share with you. We've talked a lot about what faith is and how it's, it's faith in action and it's lived out through works. But we can't lose sight of this. That the only reason it's possible for you and I to have faith in the, in the first place is because of grace. The grace of God. Because God is so loving and full of mercy... Because he loves us so much that he was willing to look at us when we were in our mess, when we were messed up, when we were sinners, and he was willing to pursue us. I'm thankful that God pursued me because there came a time in my life where I was at the bottom, the very bottom, rock bottom, nowhere to go, nowhere to turn, full of all kinds of problems, unhealthy habits, addictions, caught up in a crazy lifestyle, full of despair and hopelessness. And God loved me so much that he pursued me where I was. That he pursued me in the middle of my mess. It wasn't anything that I did. It's only because of his grace. It's only because of God's grace that you and I are even given the opportunity to have faith. And we can't lose sight of that. How do we balance between falling into legalism where we start, thing, uh, we start thinking that the things that I do, and as long as I do these things, and as long as I give, and as long as I serve, then those are the things that makes me right with God. And falling into lawlessness, which says, God's going to forgive me anyway. You know, I know I got all these problems. I got all these things going on in my life. I know the Bible says something about it, but I, I'm thankful that I have grace. How can we keep from going to either side? Just focus on the one that gives us that grace. Focus on the one that gives us that grace. We can't lose sight of that. I want to tell you a story. There once was a very skilled gardener. And this gardener was also a friend of a king. And one season, this gardener grew the very best carrot he'd ever grown. Anybody like carrots? I do. If they're cooked with a roast, potatoes, a bunch of gravy on it. <laughs> this gardener, he was friend of a king. He grew the very best carrot he'd ever grown. It was an amazing carrot. 
This carrot was the result of all of his skill, all of his hard work, all of his perfecting over the years. And he loved the king. And because he loved the king, he brought this carrot as a gift to the king. He said, oh king, this is the greatest carrot I've ever seen. And I want to present this to you as a gift to show my love and gratitude toward you. The king received it. And as the gardener was walking out of the court, the king stopped him and said, you have been a loyal subject. You are a good man, a good gardener, and I actually own land that's next to your garden, and I want to give it to you so that you can grow more and so that you can continue to cultivate crops for the benefit of the people. And there was a nobleman who was in the court when all of this happened. The nobleman thinks to himself, wow, this gardener got all of that land just for giving the king a carrot. I wonder what would happen if I gave the king a horse. So the next day he comes to the court and he says, Oh king, this is one of my horses. This is the finest horse I've ever had. You're such a wonderful king. I want to present my horse to you as a gift. The king took the horse and sent the nobleman away without giving him anything or even saying a word. The nobleman was a bit bothered by this. He was disappointed, so he asked, Why did you give the gardener this land for a simple carrot, but you wouldn't give me anything for the horse? The king looked at him and he said, When the gardener gave me the carrot, he was giving the gift to me. But when you gave me the horse, you were giving the gift to yourself. That's the difference between righteousness that comes from the faith that works and self-righteousness that comes from the faith that doesn't work. And believer, we cannot lose sight of the king who afforded us his grace. You want to know how to stay out of legalism, lawlessness, focus on the king. Focus on Jesus. You know what would just solve all the problems in your life? I'm about to tell you. Fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. You see, when you love Jesus, when you're in love with Jesus, it's easy to do what he commands. When you're in love with the one that loved you so much that he hung on the cross, you know he had you in mind. I'll show you in Scripture. I'm going to read Hebrews 12 first, and then I'm going to go back to Romans 5. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. What's that mean? You can't have faith if not for the grace of Jesus Christ. You are not afforded this opportunity to follow him without his grace. So keeping your eyes on him, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, because of the joy awaiting him, listen to this part, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. That means that he went through what he went through on Calvary, that he endured the pain of the cross for the joy on the other side of it, that's you and I. That's you and I. Jesus knew on the other side of all this pain and shame, on the other side of it, there's my people. There's my people that I can live with. There's my people that I can be in relationship with. 
There's people that need the grace of God, so I'm going to endure this. And if we can just stay focused on Jesus, we're not going to have to worry about whether or not we're following the rules. It's going to happen because it's in our heart. We will want to live his ways. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been made right with God, right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Will you stand with me this morning? Today, at every campus, at Friendswood, at League City, at Houston, you have the opportunity to put your faith in action. You have the opportunity. You have the opportunity to show the evidence of your faith through baptism. At every campus, here at Friendswood, League City, it's out the front. I'm sure you saw it when you were walking in. Houston, you just have to look over to the right. There's the baptistry right there. You have the opportunity to be baptized. So what is baptism? Baptism is part of the new life you have in Christ. Baptism is burying your past and making a new life with God. This is what the Bible tells us about baptism. It puts us in God's family. Galatians chapter 3. When you are baptized, you are placed into the family of God. Romans chapter 6 says that baptism brings new spiritual life. Colossians chapter 2 says that baptism is a public confession of your faith. It's an evidence of your faith. Making the decision to be baptized is faith in action. So who should be baptized? Maybe you're asking, should I be baptized? I've got questions about baptism. I don't know what it's all about. Who should be baptized? If you are someone today who's ready to give your life to Christ, if you are someone today who is ready to turn away from the life that you have been living and to follow after him, scripture says, the Bible says that your next step is to be baptized in Jesus' name. If you're someone who was baptized as a child, when you were too young to even understand the implications of its significance, I was baptized when I was five years old. And then I lived life a little bit. And as a 26-year-old man said, I want to be baptized. It was a decision that I made. So maybe you think you were baptized, you know you were baptized when you were young. It's a heart decision. We'll baptize you today. We will welcome you into this family of believers. Maybe you're someone whose life hasn't been going the way you planned. Maybe you're someone who walked with Jesus once upon a time and maybe veered off the path and now you don't know how you got so far away from him. We will baptize you today. Paul says when we're baptized, we put on Christ, that the old you is dead. And when you come out, you're not a better improved version. You are a new creation. Peter said that when we are baptized, it's for the remission of our sin. Maybe you have a lot of questions about baptism. Ask our team. As soon as we dismiss, go to the Next Step Center, find your campus pastor, say, I want to be baptized, but I've got some questions. Our team is ready to answer your questions. The most 
beautiful thing. The most beautiful decision you can make is to become part of God's family. Join together with a body of believers. Be united in purpose to spread the gospel and build the kingdom and reach the lost. And you can do that here at Life Church. Today, you also have the opportunity to repent. Friendswood Prayer Team, if you could take your place in the back. League City, Houston Prayer Team, if y'all would please take your places. Today, you have the opportunity to repent. Repentance is evidence of your faith in action. Repentance is you saying, you know what? I believe in you, Jesus, and I'm going to follow you. Therefore, I'm done with these stupid habits. I'm done with this. I'm leaving it behind. That is evidence that your faith is genuine. Here at Life Church, we have opportunities for you to start putting this faith into action. I love coming together. I love worshiping together. I love being together. But can I, I'm just going to like press you a little bit. Like this is not all about just coming in and hearing worship music and hearing a good sermon and leaving. Like all of us together are called to be involved. First of all, we're called to serve one another. Me, when I preach, League City, Houston, Friendswood, when I'm up here preaching to you, this is me serving you. This is me operating in the gifts and the call that God has placed on my life to serve you, to serve the body of Christ, to build each other up. We're all called to do that. You have a place in doing that. You have a role in the church to serve other people. So I'm going to tell you right now how you can put your faith into action. We make it easy. Just go to life.cc slash events. Life.cc, that's our website, slash events. You're going to find some things on there. You're going to find two serve opportunities. Hope everybody's listening right now because these are the calls to action. You can be baptized today. You can repent today. And you can sign up to serve today. There's two serve opportunities on that website. There's a serve opportunity to deliver beds to kids who are sleeping on the floor in our local community. You can sign up to help make that happen. Our team has already built the beds and now we're delivering them. And guess what? This is a routine thing. So if you feel like, oh man, I missed the first part. I'd like to be involved with building the beds. This happens routinely. Get in the habit of checking the events page on our website. That's where we post all of these things. It's all over social media. We talk about it on the announcement video. Just get in the habit. Look at the events page. You can sign up today to go back out to Cabo San Lucas, the Adopt-A-Block Serve opportunity to serve that community there. You'll find a tab that says Discover Life. You can register today for our Discover Life event, which is an opportunity for you just to say, hey, I want to start serving my church family. I want to join the team and be involved with what happens on Sundays. You can sign up for all of those things today. You can join yourself to this body of believers. And guess what? If you don't join Life Church, find a church. Find a church. The best decision you can make for yourself is to get plugged in to a life-giving local church. Parents, fathers, the best decision you can make for your children is to prioritize the local church in your family. Prioritize the local church over baseball, over band, over all the extracurricular activities. Prioritize being involved in the local church and it will change your family. You want to know how to fix your marriage? Both of you fall in love with Jesus and commit to serving one another and serving in the local church. You can sign up for these things. You can join with us. We have our legacy offering coming up in November. 
I know I'm giving you a laundry list right now. Guess what? These are the opportunities for you to put your faith in action. November, second Sunday in November, our legacy offering. We're giving to different ministries around the globe, literally. Lithuania, Philippines, Israel, Mexico. Here within the city, we have different ministries that we're supporting that feed the hungry and clothe the homeless. You can be involved and put your faith in action. We have the opportunities for you. That's what the local church does. And today I'm calling you to that action. The book of James is challenging. And I'm challenging you today. Put your faith in action. Take your next step. Take your next step. If you're ready, take your next step. The best Every campus that you're at, find a prayer team partner. Ask them to pray with you. Tell them what your next step is. Ask them, what should my next step be? Tell them you're ready to get baptized. Tell them you're ready to confess and repent. Ask for prayer. This is faith in action. So I'm going to end with a prayer. And as soon as I end my prayer, Houston League City worship team, you guys can take it as soon as I say amen. But let's pray together. And I'm believing that somebody, somebody's multiple people in this room, in Houston and League City, are going to take their next step and be baptized. I'm going to add this. Life family, life church family, don't leave. Hang out. Gather around the baptistry and celebrate those people because you know what they're doing? They're joining our family. So celebrate them. Houston, gather around that baptistry. League City, it's nice outside. Gather around that baptistry. Friendswood, we're going to go outside. Somebody's going to be baptized today. Let me pray for you. Lord, Lord, we thank you. God, I thank you that you are good, righteous. You know all things. You're loving, you're kind, you're merciful, you're full of grace. Truly, there is no one like you. Truly, there is nothing like you. We could search the world. We could find every idea, philosophy, every government. Nothing compares to you. Nothing compares to your ways. We thank you for the grace that you have afforded to us. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, for making it possible to have faith. Thank you for calling us to repentance. Thank you for calling us to have faith. God, help us to see. Help us to see that truly the best life we could ever live is the life you have for us. Truly. It's the best life we could ever live, Lord. I pray that you would help us. Holy Spirit, help us see that. Because I feel like there might be some people that have apprehensions today. There might be some people that are a little anxious today. There's people that are hesitant to really follow you, to really repent, to really remove these barriers because they think they're giving up something that's better than what you have to offer. 
Help us, Lord, in this moment. Overwhelm us with your love and grace and mercy. Overwhelm us with your presence. Show us that there's nothing we could possibly hold on to that compares to the life that you have for us. Today, Lord, if there's anybody that has those apprehensions or those worries or maybe they're just scared of letting go of what they know and what they're comfortable with and what's, what's safe for them and taking that next step, maybe it's just intimidating for them. They don't know what's on the other side. Lord, you walk with us. You care for us. You never leave us. You never abandon us. There's nowhere we could go that you would not reach for us. And we know that if you have something for us, it's good. So today I just pray that all that apprehension, doubt, anxiety, fear, that all of it would just be removed and replaced with peace and love. And that people would have the confidence to put their faith in action, to sign up to serve, to join the team, to start growing to be baptized, to confess their faith, to commit their life to you, to surrender to you, to repent. Let every person that hears my voice right now, Lord, Holy Spirit, start ministering to them and working in their hearts and minds because not one of us is perfect, Lord. No, not one. Holy Spirit, show us those things in us today. Show us those thoughts and the habits and the doubts. Show them to us in this moment so that we can take action. Not so we can feel bad about ourselves. Not so that we can feel condemned. Not so that we can feel like we're worthless. But your promises, like our team at Friendswood said, your promises are yes and amen. So when you show us, Lord, when you show us those areas, you're calling us out of them right now, Lord. I pray for every person in all three of our campuses, show us how we can take our next step. What do we need to repent from? What do we need to sign up for? What discipline do we need to adopt? What spiritual discipline? Who do we need to pray for? What do we need to pray about? How do we need to start giving more effectively? How do we need to start leading our family? How do we need to start treating our spouse? How should we start speaking to our children? How should we start treating our coworkers? How should we start showing up for work in the morning, Lord? Show us these things, God, so that we can take action, so we can follow after you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.